Um, here we go. And uh, so, First Timothy chapter six and verse eleven. I need to get you guys. I don't. This is a fresh handout. You guys don't have this, so um, I'll. Uh, I'm confused. I get confused on what I hand out and what I don't. You're busy, man. Yeah, I don't know what sheet of music we're singing. I think Amy will be here directly, so I'll uh, give you two here. I don't want to point her out in public. That could be bad for me. <laughs> Thanks. All right. All right, so... Uh, we're building people who build churches, right? So we're, now we're talking about uh, the prioritized life. This is the second part. We've all slept since the last time we were here. Uh, and so this is titled Live Large by Keeping God's Charge, which ironically is what we were talking about this morning. And uh, uh, that is, I, I wish I could tell you I was just so smooth I could coordinate all this, but I'm really not. So. Um, uh, and I think you guys could believe that. <laughs> so it is what it is. And I'm thankful, though, that it all goes together um, because tonight we're going to be talking about living large by keeping God's charge. And as I, if you if you remember this morning, I pointed out that the, the word charge shows up and God charged Moses uh, because he was forming an army. And so he's transforming uh, Israel from slaves to Soldiers, and that's part of why they had to endure hardness, um, because God was hardening them for the rigors that would lie ahead as they travel in the wilderness. So, um, so tonight um, we're going to be in First uh, Timothy chapter six, and uh, we've already covered um, uh, on your outline here the first uh, the first point was content, uh, contentment trumps uh, covetousness, and so. Um, we've already covered that. We're to be content to serve. We're to be content to separate and content to seek God. So that took us up through verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so tonight we're going to take verse 11 and go on down through 21. Now we won't get all this chewed up, but that is the the balance. That is the end of the chapter. So we're, we're finishing up 2 Timothy together uh, on this section of the study. All right, so um, if you have your Bibles here, let's just read the text and then we'll pray and uh, get into the teaching tonight, starting in verse uh, uh, starting in verse. 11 and which will tie us into where we've been the last well start in verse 10 he says for the love of money is the root of all evil while some coveted after they have erred from the faith uh, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows and we'll pick it up here verse 11 but thou O man of god flee these things and follow after righteousness godliness faith love patience meekness fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee, here it is, charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and and before Christ Jesus, who hath uh, Pontius Pilate wit, uh, a witness, a good, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times... He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, which we talked about this morning, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. 
Here's the word again, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they uh, do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid vain or avoid uh, profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Heavenly Father, we again, we just thank you for the songs that we've sung. Lord, we, we've sung those to you. They're about you. They're for you, uh, but Lord, they really minister to our hearts as well. It's good to to just open up our hearts and give you praise and honor and glory. And Lord, we know you're so much uh, more uh, than we are, but yet, Lord, you've included us and you've called us and you've equipped us. And and Lord, you've uh, put us into the ministry tonight. Lord, this is a group of people that are born again. They profess Christ. They're here to do your business. I thank you for the the work of prayer. Lord, I thank you for charging us, Lord, and and encouraging us to uh, live out the word of God, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word, the prayer time that we'll have tonight. Lord, we pray, God, that as you inhabit our praises, Lord, that our hearts would be right with you, would be right with one another. And, Lord, that uh, there would be some good traction out of this meeting, Lord, that you would be glorified and that prayers would be answered. And, uh, Lord, that uh, at the end of the day, when we get to heaven, we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. We thank you and we praise you. We rejoice tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so contentment trumps covetousness. We saw that. Now we're going to see that uh, live large by keeping God's charge. So point A is uh, be God's man. And so... Uh, the, the the phrase O man is mentioned nine times in Scripture, and the phrase O man of God is only mentioned three times. Twice O man of God is mentioned in Second Kings uh, one eleven through thirteen, in reference to Elijah who withstood uh, Ahaziah, the dying king of Israel. And Ahaziah was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. He had fallen from a porch through the lattice and was wounded. And instead of inquiring of the Lord in his time of need, he sent messengers to Samaria to inquire of Beelzebub. Uh, And so the Philistine god, uh, who was also known as the devil, (laughs) to see if he would recover. So instead of saying, hey, God, help. He's like, hey, Satan, how am I doing? You know. So this infuriated God. He sent Elijah in his stead to intercept the message and send a message back to Ahaziah that he would certainly die. In Second Kings 1, and I think I included this in your text there, this is what it says, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, It is not because there is not a God in Israel that ye inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Uh, now therefore, thus saith the Lord, uh, thou shalt not come down from the, uh, that bed on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. So Ahaziah, hearing this, he doesn't repent, which I think that would at least make me want to repent, but didn't him. Instead, he sends his messengers with com- uh, uh, commanding Elijah to come down to Samaria. And Elijah says, no, I'm not interested in that, and, uh, and uh, consumes the captain and his 50 uh, with fire. And so, don't mess with Elijah. So Ahaziah still doesn't repent and sends yet another 50 men with a captain to call Elijah to Samaria. And again, Elijah calls from heaven and torches them. This crazy stuff. 
that's why you'll see Moses and Elijah in the tribulation, by the way. And again, in Second Kings chapter 2, and verse 11, the third captain comes with 50 of his men. And, of course, he kneels before Elijah, and he addresses him as, O man of God, and he pleads for his life. And so Elijah is told of God to give this man and his 50 mercy, and he travels with him back to Samaria to tell Ahaziah face to face that he would die. And, of course, that is exactly what happened. So what's the significance of this phrase, O man of God? It's only applied to Timothy and Elijah. So that's an interesting parallel. We think of Timothy as, you know, Mr. Weak Stomach and Meek, uh, and he was certainly meek. Uh, Paul, writing this epistle from Laodicea, is well aware that Nero's on the throne. And it's possible that in 64 AD, before Paul's second arrest and trial before Nero, when this was written, uh, that Paul knows Timothy will be left a minister in Rome, controlled by a tyrant who blames Christianity for all that's wrong in the empire. And so even in 63 AD, the Spirit of God's drawing an analogy between the prophet Elijah and Timothy, who both were facing off with the principalities who were types of Antichrist themselves. So Nero very clearly was an Antichrist. And of course, uh, uh, Ahab, without a doubt, and Jezebel, a couple of the greatest types. Jezebel's named in the, in the book of Revelation as a type of the harlot, right? And so you got Jezebel, and you got Ahab, and then of course their son Ahaziah. I mean, all of these people just totally represent an Antichrist system. And, and the men that God uses to face off with them, Elijah and, and uh, Timothy, uh, are uh, these men are called men of God? Oh, man of God! In, in spe- specifically, oh, man of God. So, uh, so this letter is written from the chief city of Phrygia, uh, Pasitania, called Laodicea. So, uh, beloved, this city is the location of a church mentioned in the seven churches of Revelation chapter 3, as I think you guys all know. So, Paul was conflicted uh, for the Colossians and the Laodiceans, and as many as had not seen his face in the flesh, according to the only other mention of the Laodicean, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. So, those churches actually had not had a visit from him. And so, it would be uh, in his warnings uh, of Colossians chapter 2 and his admonitions of Colossians chapter 3 that he counseled those who lived in Laodicea, Colossae, and their relationship with Christ. And he said in Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And you see here the warning of Revelation 3.14-22, which we're all familiar with regarding Laodicea. So we live in an age... Um, and Timothy lived in an era where the man of God is minimized along with Christ uh, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So within the church, there's a danger of allowing physical affluence and humanistic philosophy and carnality to take our eyes off of Jesus and dull our senses to the call of God. So outside the church, principalities and powers are aligning themselves with the spirit of Antichrist, causing them to see the man of God, oh man of God, right? The man of God is a threat because their heart is hardened to the one true God like Nero and Ahaziah. Uh, They either see themselves as God or would prefer to obey the devil, literally in the case of Ahaziah, rather than God. And so when you have a man who uh, presumes to speak for God, like Timothy or Paul or Elijah, it becomes becomes a conflict with these that are in places of, of power, which is why Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It is not just the men. It wasn't just the man Nero. It was what Nero represented and the, and the conflict that we see back in Daniel as well 
uh, with what God is working out in the kingdoms of this world versus what the devil wants to work out with the kingdoms of this world and that 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 tension and that conflict. And so, you know, all of us pastors would, at least many of us, me included, I came up, my discipleship training is under a very pragmatic type of pastor. He could, you know, he could work both sides of the crowd very well. And But at the end of the day, when it comes right down to it, you only have one side, and that's God's side, and it's the truth. And, and Paul was preparing Timothy for ministry in a pagan Roman Empire, which was systematically persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in ten subsequent waves, right, after Paul's passing. And so, uh, and that goes on for 300 years. And so this was, this was, this was some discipleship. This, this, these disciples needed to know, um, you know what, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He's encouraging Timothy strongly to, to continue in this fight. It's, it's not a dance. He doesn't say the good dance of faith. It's the fight of faith. So the only place that you'll find rest in this system is within the household of faith. Right? So that's why church is so important. You know what? This is the place I get my rest. Coming in here uh, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, uh, Wednesday nights. It's just refreshing for my soul. Whether I'm teaching or not teaching, it's a place of rest. The household of faith is the place you want to be. And that's why Timothy or uh, Paul teaches us in Hebrews, right, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, especially as we see the day of the Lord are coming, because it's important to get uh, refreshed in the household of faith. So Timothy was <clears throat> uh, Timothy was going to have to fight the good fight of faith, and Paul, by God's grace, understood that the majority of the souls in the Roman Empire were servants, and they were part of the slave class that he concludes his epistle with a shout-out to the majority of the church um, of that day were under the oppressive control of the pagan Roman Empire. As he concludes, he turns to the man of God, who's like Elijah, and is going to be giving a message about the one true God. And he calls him, in 1 Timothy 6.15, uh, the only potentate king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, and so uh, it doesn't matter if it's Emperor Nero... Uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, Prime Minister Modi, um, you know, the current President of the United States, Pope Pope uh, Francis, uh, Xi Jinping, or whatever his name is, Ping. Uh, there's only one potentate, right? There's only one potentate that is to say uh, that we can say is Almighty, All Powerful God. And really, as Christians, we really let's just park the car there for a minute and just like absorb that. I mean, there's really only one king of kings and lord of lords. Now, we are to obviously respect those that rule. Uh, we should be the most respectful citizens in every, in every culture of the powers that be, because God tells us to be. But having said that, we certainly cannot minimize the power of God. We see that very clearly in what I'm teaching in, in Exodus as well. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ is who we represent. He is our God. And so, and he only calls us to love, right, and to be charitable. He's not, fortunately, this isn't the kingdom of heaven. He's not calling me to go out and take up arms against the, the leaders of this world. They can have this world because Jesus is going to come back and take it. We'll come back with arms later. Right now, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm offering you peace. Take it or leave it. But if someday you've got to take it because he's the only way, truth, and life. So, as, <clears throat> so the question here, now I know you guys are ladies in large part. One, two, three, four four ladies and four men so we're 50 50 right now because uh so 
we're 50-50 tonight, right now. So I would say 50% of us have not been called a man of God. So uh, I was going to ask that question. Have any of you been called a man of God? In our climate today, I I think that's, you know, you got to be careful with these things. But uh, primarily, maybe a woman of God, a man of God, however you want to apply that. I can remember the first time someone called me a man of God, and it caused me to pause. Um, I don't remember the exact event uh, but I, or the occasion, uh, but it was a brother I worked with, Herb Newton, and... Uh, He's, and he told me, he said at work one day, he says, Brian, you were the man of God. And he said it like that, you were the man of God. And boy, they just like freaked me out. It's like, like struck a chord in my heart because you don't think of yourself as the man of God. I never actually had that term applied, not to just myself, but I don't really hear people talk about other people like that very often. That's like something you read in the Old Testament, you know. And so when Herb said that, it just made me stop. And I'm like, what? is that but that's what paul's saying to timothy oh man of god i mean you need to be the man of god you need to be that man and so uh, it's similar similarly when i started here at heartland uh it was hard for me to receive and i've said this before so forgive me for repeating myself but these are again like i said this morning these are good things for me to remember when we started the church here it was hard for me to, to receive people calling me pastor it's just hard to hear people call you pastor when you you're like no i'm brian i'm just one of the i'm rank and file uh, I will say this, the Sloans, uh, Michelle and, and uh, Tracy Sloan, they helped to start the church here. Uh, they went out of their way to make sure that I understood I was the pastor. And I don't mean this in a negative way, in a positive way. Uh, they, would, they would say, Brian, you need, to, you need to take the title because people need to honor the office. Not me, but the office. Because uh, they could tell I was uncomfortable with it. And I, I thought about that and I said, you know, they have a point. It's like any office, you know, the officer is not as important as the office. And the office is what's important. God established the office, and the officers have to meet the requirements. But the office stands on its own because God sets the parameters. And so it is a, it's a big deal to be called these names, O man of God or a pastor or a woman of God, if we want to say it that way for the other 50% of the room. Um, but those things kind of, you know, it implies when someone calls you a, a name like that, um, I mean, I don't know how you feel, Jeff, but doesn't it make you feel responsible? I mean, you feel all of a sudden you're like, I've got, and I've even had to have conversations, not with Jeff, I've had to have conversations with pastors and like talk to them and say, look, you are, a, the title pastor means something. You cannot just, you're not a private in this organization, <laughs> right? This is a, this is a God's ordained organism. So a, you got to act like, you got to be a pastor. You have to live up you got to live up to it. I mean, yeah, you just, and, and I'm sorry, there's, there, you just can't, it, you just, you know, there's some things you can't afford to do or not do. Uh, you got to, either that or don't be a pastor because that's how it is. And so, um, and so if we, if we think about, you know, um, the commitments that we have to the Word of God and the ministry of reconciliation uh, and all of those things, we are ambassadors for Christ. So it's not like we carry this great, you know, um, uh, diminutive authority, right? We're not this. We're not some tyrant. We're really an ambassador. You know, we are. We're here to to bring peace terms because the war is coming, <laughs> and I know how it ends. So we're really we're part of God's grace. That's why it's the age of grace. It's not that God's going to win. He's already won, right? And so we're presenting the peace terms. Like, please receive these because, you know. It's on. I mean, we're, we got this thing won. Jesus has already won it. We're here to present the good news. And it's just as important in this last century, before the Lord returns, that the man of God be God's man. 
today, and I'm preaching to myself as, I mean, I know this is about everything I'm saying really tonight falls back on me more than anybody in the room. So this is good for me if nobody else. So I hope you guys get something from it. But it's the last century. I think we're right before the Lord's return. I can't tell you if it's today or, you know, next year or whatever. I'm not going to select the day or the hour. But we do know the time is near, and it's in the Lord's hands, and we should be ready for His return. And we should be, those of us that claim to be men of God need to be God's man, right? There's a lot of men that say they're, they're men of God, but how many of them are God's man? Are they doing God's will? And so, um, you know, it, it's, um, if you're going to be God's man, who's going to stand like Elijah against Ahaziah? Um, that Elijah wasn't pragmatic. He's like, I ain't coming, and I'm going to bring down fire. You know, I'm spitting fire, and he isn't talking about rap songs, right? And uh, and I mean, the fire's coming down, and fifty at a time, they're gone, they're gone. And Ahaziah is such a hard-hearted dude; he doesn't even care. He's such a jerk face, you know. And uh, and so you have to have a man that can stand in there. Timothy had to be a man of God because he's standing against guys like Nero. Nero didn't care. Um, he was the personification of the Antichrist in that day. He would be like Hitler in the last century. I mean, there's just certain people that they personify um, for that moment. You know, they're they're an, they aren't the Antichrist, but they're an Antichrist. And so Nero was an Antichrist. Um, and so I said a lot, and we haven't gotten very far. But point one: uh, flee these things. Is what he says. Flee these things. Point one: flee these things. What things, you might ask? Um, well, it's been a while since we've been in First Timothy six, so let me re- rewind and be kind, and we can remember this. Uh, he's 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 speaking about O man of God, right? That we've been talking about. So we can summarize what we covered in the first ten verses of this chapter, even though we've all slept since then. In verses one and two, uh, he taught about false teaching, and so uh, flee that, flee false teaching. In verses three through five, he taught about foolish arguments. Um, and I think if I think false teaching, I I I am I'm not down with false teaching. I think it's easier for me to because I've been God's given us His Word. I think it's easier to discern false teaching. Um, but foolish arguments today, boy, that's harder to get uh, stay away from. I just had a conversation this morning uh, with social media. I find myself at times. Do you ever want to just jump in on an argument? Someone says something you don't like, and you're like wanting to jump in there. Or sometimes you get in an argument without trying. I'm like, one day, uh, you guys know who Ed Stetzer is? I was telling Amy, she's like, Ed Stetzer? He was behind some of these uh, commercials that they had during the Super Bowl. Uh, he's like this famous Southern Baptist guy. I don't know why. I think he thinks I'm, there's this guy named Brian Hedges. He's a famous, he's an author and pastor up in Michigan. I think a lot of people think I'm him, so they accidentally follow me. And so for whatever reason, I'm on, we're connected on Twitter, me and Ed Stetzer. So Ed Stetzer says something one day about... Um, about um, it wasn't dispensational theology, but it had, I think it had to do with uh, numbers, and uh, he was basically just poo-pooing numerology, and and which I get the, I, in the sense that he meant it. I I agreed with him. I, I wasn't trying to pick a fight, but I just made a comment in this string on Twitter. Uh, you know, this is a Bible guy. He's a missionary. I appreciate the man. Uh, honestly, as a Christian, you know, um, I'm like, hey, I'm all for Ed Stetzer. I'm not against. He's not my enemy for sure. And so I just, con- you know, just kind of casually comment, you know, like something to the effect, like, hey, I get what you're saying, but obviously, you know, the Bible does use numbers numbers as a pattern and shows a lot of truth. Um, 
and boy, he came back hard on me like I was his enemy, you know. And I was like, whoa. And so I just, I'm like, well, wait, wait, what about Revelation? You know, I mean, it's based on sevens. I mean, there's no, you can't deny that. I mean, that is, that's empirical evidence in the Bible. God uses numbers, to, you know. So things like that, you're not even trying to get an argument. And this is a brother, and you're like, the whole world's watching, which Twitter, who's really watching. But anyway, you know, you got you got all these people, and, the, you know, it's just like, eh. So, I, you know, I'm trying to, like, moonwalk out of this conversation. I'm like, I'm not here to cause a fight. You know, Mr. Stetzer, I'm sorry you're wrong, but <laughs> it's easy to, you know, you just don't want to get into foolish arguments. You know, this is a way, it's a way, it's not worth my time. It's not worth Ed Stetzer's time, especially on a forum like that where everybody's watching. But I don't know what the deal was with that guy. Uh, normally, he's got some good things to say, and I appreciate what he's about. Um, uh, of course, he's not a dispensationalist. Somebody perceived I was a dispensationalist, which is also why I wanted out of the conversation. Because some guys jumped in all of a sudden and started attacking him and talking about him not being dispensational and progressive anyway. And I'm just like, whoa. I'm not, I'm not here to argue, people, so I learn. Don't get into foolish arguments. That's my whole point, right? That's what Paul talks about in verses 3 through 5. So just don't jump in on that stuff, even innocently, and you won't get embroiled in it. And so, and I'm like wondering, how does Ed Setzer have time to worry about what Brian Hedges thinks out here in a cow field in Harrisonville? I don't know. So uh, I think he may have thought I was the other Brian Hedges. So uh, ungodliness and discontentment is what verses 6 through 10 was about. And so we got to avoid those things. We got to flee, right? Flee these things: false teachings, foolish arguments, ungodliness, and discontentment. Well, can we just skip over that? I mean, I think ungodliness and discontentment—that's a pretty common thing today. I mean, we can, but that takes us up through verse ten. There's a lot of ungodliness and a lot of discontentment among the body of Christ. And I really think some of that's just because we need to slow slow our roll, spend more time in the Word of God, and let our minds permeate, be permeated with the Scripture um, a lot more. Uh, I know that helps me a lot. And so, like Joseph fled from Potiphar, the man of God is to flee from lust. So Paul uh, could come back around uh, to this uh, in his next epistle to Timothy during his second imprisonment in 2 Timothy 2.22 and say, Flee also youthful lust, but follow after uh, righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so he brings that back again in his, his next epistle on the next page if you got a Bible like mine. So God doesn't ask us to flee without calling us to follow. Isn't that nice? So he's not just saying flee. He's saying follow. Follow me. Right? A lot of times I think people get down, they're all worried about what they can and can't do because they miss that part. Uh, it's not about what you can and can't do, it's about who we follow. Right? God's like not just telling you to flee, He's saying follow. And so when we do flee, we're following Him. So we're, it's not like we're just, uh, you know, working on what we can't do. Oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. No, there's a lot we can do and we should do. And that really helps take up for the things that we feel like we're fleeing from. God doesn't ask us to flee without calling us to follow. So many people misunderstand the call of God and see it as a list of do's and don'ts. And in reality, God is calling us to flee so we can follow Christ. And I mean, this is so... I have kids, you know, and I, I just hate the fact, as much as I try... Being a PKzer, they just—it's hard for them to get. This is not a do's and don'ts thing. This is a follow. This is a follow me. Um, and I don't mean just me, but follow Christ. It's not the rules. It's not church. This is about Jesus Christ and Him personally. Uh, we don't do all this because it's my job. 
I would do this. I, I don't know, guys, if you were in my house, I don't know how many times I've had to tell my kids, your dad's this way, doesn't matter if he's a pastor. This is who I am, right? It's, it's not what I do, it's who I am. And so, uh, so we're, why? We're escaping the temptation of sin for the fulfillment of Christ. Yeah, following Christ has led me to be a pastor, but I would be following Christ regardless if I was a pastor, by God's grace, you know. Um, and so that's part of it, right? So, we, so remember, when you flee, you're following Christ. Joseph didn't simply flee Potiphar's wife because it was wrong and, and it was a sin against Potiphar. Uh, he was clear he was fleeing her because he valued being near to God. Right? He, he refused in Genesis 39. I got that verse there for you. He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house, and he committed and he committeth all that he hath to my hand. There is no greater in the house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me, but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Right, so he was he was flee. He got to flee to follow. That's that's what he's teaching Timothy. And point two is you got to follow after righteousness. Follow after righteousness. And so Paul is quoting from Isaiah fifty one one. The only place you find the phrase "follow after righteousness" in the entire Bible is Isaiah fifty one one and First Timothy six eleven. So I suspect maybe Paul was reading some Isaiah when he wrote this to Timothy, or at least quoting it. Isaiah 51, 1, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock when ye are hewn, and the hole of the pit when ye are digged. Uh, Man, what a powerful passage that is. Follow after righteousness. And so, um, you know, we we are hewn out of that rock, and the hole of the pit which ye are digged. And so there are a few passages that come real close to saying the same thing. Proverbs 59 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he that loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Right? So God loves those that follow after righteousness. Proverbs 21.21 says, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor. So you might say, um, what is the difference between follow and followeth? I knew you were asking that question. So the richness of our authorized version points out the difference between uh, a first-person command to follow and a third-person observation of he that follows the Lord. So the translation is you don't have uh, the blessing of following the Lord until you do it. Right? You don't have the blessing of following the Lord until you do it. You've got to follow the Lord or you don't get the blessing. So Paul gives the man of God a list of things to follow after. And we've already read them. Righteousness, uh, godliness, faith, love, patience, and, and meekness. Right, So there's those, those, those uh, six things there to follow after. So it's not just fleeing. Uh, it's also following after uh, those things. So in essence, Paul is calling Timothy to identify with Christ uh, in his character, in his character, I should say, rather. And, th- and this is a conscious decision that must be made, uh, that the man of God has to make a priority over the concerns and conflicts of this life. According to Matthew 6, th- uh, 33, the Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so uh, I could keep going, but I won't. Uh, so I'm going to stop right there on number three. We'll pick that up next time because I've got too much to go to get to point B. So uh, we'll just par- park it there. Next week is fight the good fight of faith. You probably could have guessed that. So <clears throat> we'll pick it up then next week. All right.
So any questions, comments, thoughts? All right. Football's over. Chiefs won. You guys should be happy. Jesus is Lord. That's right. The eyes of men are never satisfied. That's right. Jeff is really happy. He was rooting for the Chiefs. So, all right, we got, huh? Yes. Barely. It's on a bad call. It really wasn't fair. No, I'm just kidding. It was kind of a bad call there at the end. So they'd have won either way. Oh yeah, yeah. It sounded like a war, didn't it? Yeah, in our neighborhood, it sounded like the, uh, like you know, I thought the Ruskies or the Chinese had landed or something, you know. <laughs> so, was it like that in Belton? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, we weren't that sophisticated down here. I know it did sound like ordinances. It was not just like.